Hey, welcome to Gospel Community Sermon Podcast. Thanks for listening in. We hope that uh, you enjoy what you hear and that we handle the word faithfully. We'd invite you, if you have any questions or want to attend a service, to visit www.gcctroy.com. Well, as we get ready to move forward in our passage in Exodus today, which is in page 53 in the Pew Bible, Exodus chapter 12, I want to ask you if you've ever wondered, like I've wondered when I was younger, the question is this, why do we need the Old Testament? Why exactly? You know, there's 979 chapters. It's really big. It's really weighty. It covers a span of thousands of years. Whereas the New Testament, really a lot less time, a lot less time. So why do you need it? Uh, In recent years, this idea has come forward that we need to just kind of disconnect from the old because there's a lot of content, a lot of stories, a lot of things going on. Let's just talk about Jesus, his death, his burial, his resurrection, and just kind of move forward with that. Why do we need the old? Well, if we skip the old, the new doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Uh, The new quotes 200 verses from the Old Testament and at least a a thousand allusions or references are made to Old Testament verses. So you're really seeing only half of the picture, half of the story, if you're skipping the old. Now, in January, we started to work through the book of Exodus here, and we have observed God's people, the Israelite people, being afflicted at the hands of the Egyptians, slavery for hundreds of years. And in Exodus chapter 2, verse 23, for the first time, we get their reaction to being slaves. It says, the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery, and they cried out for help. Obvious reaction, you would think, of slaves are saying, help us, not just here horizontally, but vertically. God, please help us. And God hears their cry, and we see God raising up this man, Moses. And he says, Moses, I'm going to raise you up, but through my power, I'm going to speak through you, and your people will be free. So Moses goes to Pharaoh. He says, let my people go. And he says it again and again and again and again. And the answer is still no. The people are still enslaved. And we wonder, man, why is this? not moving forward. Well, God told Moses ahead of time what was going to happen. In Exodus chapter 4, the Lord tells Moses, who's in the wilderness at the time, he says, when you go back to Egypt, you are going to do all these miracles in front of Pharaoh, but I will harden his heart, and he won't let the people go. And we see kind of a back and forth, God God hardening Pharaoh's heart, and vice versa, Pharaoh saying, I don't want this either. But God says this in Exodus chapter 6 about his people. He says, I've heard their groaning. I've remembered my covenant. He says, I will bring you out. I will deliver you. I will redeem you. I will take you to be my people. God's saying, it's going to happen. You need to trust me, but it's going to happen in my timing. So we start to see these plagues unfold. The first one being water turning to blood. Frogs, gnats, flies, Egyptian livestock dies. Oils, hail, locusts, and darkness is plague number nine. Now, we can't forget, these aren't just random. See, today I'm just going to have frogs everywhere. 
No, no, no. These are clear, direct refutations of refutations of Egyptians' gods. Because the Egyptians, they had a god for everything. They had over a thousand gods, all a part of their life. And yet we may wonder, we say, why all the plagues? Like, I get it, but why couldn't God just have blinded the Egyptians' eyes and the Israelites just walk out and it's over? That's kind of an American thing to say, right? Can't we just get the Wikipedia version? Do I have to really read the book? Does it really have to take so long? Why is this drug out? Well, the reason why is because, again, God is going to drive the point home that I am the true God. I am the God overall. I am the creator. This is the creation. I am distinct. I am all-powerful. I win every single time. As the Apostle Paul said in Romans chapter 1, verse 25, speaking of the people who are godless, he said they exchanged the truth about who God is for a lie, and they worshiped and, create, and served created things rather than the Creator, who is forever praised. This is classic paganism 101. You go to places around the world where there's no God, there's no gospel, there's no light. You're going to worship something, but it's not the true God, and often it is the creation. So a couple of things real quick. Uh, the sun, how about that? When it went dark for three days, why was that again? Because the Egyptian people, they worship the sun. They loved the sun. And God says, ah, the sun that you worship, I can flip the sun off just like a light switch. You know why? Because I'm in control. It's a part of my creation, and I am the creator. And how about frogs? that represented fertility, that they were to be sacred and never killed. You would never kill a frog. And God says, I'm going to multiply these, and then I'm going to kill all of them. Because you're not in charge. The power doesn't lie in you. It doesn't lie in the sun. It doesn't lie in frogs. But it lies within the true God. So the question that may come up in your mind is how much time passed between the first plague up to where we're at through the ninth plague? You know, was this months? Was this years? What was it? Well, I did some research on my own. I couldn't figure it out. So I reached out to the guy who has the number one commentary on the book of Exodus. And I said, how long was it from the first of the ninth? And he said this, he said, in short, we do not know. So if he doesn't know, don't feel bad. He said, Exodus does not say, he said, I suspect that we are thinking of a few weeks at most. Some of the signs and wonders last a few days. So these first nine plagues over the course of several weeks, Egypt has got to be thinking, when is it going to stop? Make it stop. Well, today we come to the final plague, the 10th plague, and we'll be looking at chapter 12 of Exodus. We're going to be covering, Lord willing, all 51 verses. So page 53 in your pew Bible, Exodus chapter 12, and every other Bible, let's look at the first 11 verses here. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, this month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons, according to what each can eat, and shall make your count for the lamb. 
Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male, a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the 14th day of this month, when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. They shall eat the flesh that night, roasted on the fire with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. They shall eat it. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roasted its head with its legs and inner parts. And you shall let none of it remain until morning. Anything that remains until morning, you shall burn. In this manner, you shall eat it with your belt fastened your sandals on your feet and your staff in your hand, and you shall eat in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. So God tells Moses and Aaron, hey, deliverance is coming soon. Slavery that's lasted hundreds of years, it's almost over. And he says in verse two, he says, this month shall be for you a beginning of months. It'll be the first month of the year for you. Something new is gonna happen. You're having a new beginning. Imagine not being a slave, but you're going to be free. But here's some clear instructions from God. He says, if you want to live through this, you can actually leave. Uh, This is something you're not going to be able to do last minute. It's something that could lead to mistakes if you don't take these instructions seriously. He says, I want precision. He says, I want you to select a lamb without blemish. It has to be a male, a year old, You can take it from the flock of the sheep or goats. You have to keep it until the 14th day. Then when you sacrifice the lamb, listen closely, you have to kill them at a certain time. You kill them at twilight. And then you have to take some of the lamb's blood and you put it on the doorposts and lintel. Then after that's done, you're going to cook this lamb specifically, precisely, in a certain way. You're going to eat it a certain way. And if there's lamb left over, this is what you do with it. And then even the specifics of what you're supposed to be wearing, you're wearing your sandals, you've got your walking stick in hand, all of this detail. And you think, well, if I don't want to do it, what if I want to pick a different lamb? What if it's not the best? What if I don't want to put the blood over? And God is saying, if you don't obey, you will suffer the consequences. You will die. Just a public service announcement. We don't get a vote with God, right? He is the creator, the master of the entire universe. And when he says, this is what I want, when he says, this is what truth is, that is the reality, period. You can vote, but your vote won't count, okay? He makes the rules, period. But the interesting thing is, as you see the Old Testament progress, because we're only in Exodus now, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, you work all the way to the very last book, you see in the book of Malachi that, wow, they've come a long way the other way. Uh, There are priests, the sacrificial system is sent up there, set up very well, I should say, and people are literally bringing animals in for offerings. And they're offering blind animals, lame animals, sick animals. And God says, I wish you guys would just blow out the fire, shut the doors, stop offering sacrifices in vain. And God says, curse be the one who has exactly what I need, but he withholds it. He said, better that they not give a sacrifice at all. So the precision that God 
requires, right? And this same logic applies to our own lives. When you order a pizza, you want the pizza made exactly how you want. If you get your hair cut, you'd really like them to do it how they ask you. If you're flying on a plane, you'd really like them to land at the destination at the right spot and not fly it into a lake. Um, There's something about it that makes so much sense with us on a human level, but God on a divine level, it's no different. So let's say you're an Israelite. You're living in Egypt. You've actually obeyed all these precise directions. What happens next? You're waiting. You're waiting, and let's read verses 12, starting in verse 12. God says what's going to happen. He says, for I will pass through the land of Egypt that night. I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and on all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the house where you are. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. And no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. God says, it's not just there's going to be more flies or gnats or frogs, but I myself will be there. I'll be coming through the land. And when I see the blood, that's the key. The people that have actually obeyed the instructions, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. Let's look at verse 14. It says, in light of this happening, it says, this shall be for you a memorial day, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations as a statute forever. You shall keep it as a feast. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. On the first day you shall remove leaven out of your houses. For if anyone eats what is leaven from the first day until the seventh day, that person shall be cut off from Israel. On the first day, you shall hold a holy assembly, and on the seventh day, a holy assembly. No work shall be done on those days, but what everyone needs to eat, that alone may be prepared for you. You shall observe the feast of unleavened bread, for on this day I brought your hosts out of the land of Egypt. Therefore, you shall observe this day throughout your generations as a statute forever. In the first month from the 14th day of the month at evening, you shall eat unleavened bread until the 21st day of the month at evening. For seven days, no leaven is to be found in your houses. If anyone eats what is leavened, that person will be cut off from the congregation of Israel, whether he is a sojourner or a native of the land. You shall eat nothing leavened in all your dwelling places. You shall eat unleavened bread. The big idea here is like, you're slaves. I'm going to get you out of here and you are going to remember this. Now, it's one thing to say, hey, I need you to remember this. It's another thing to say, hey, watch me remember this. But it's another thing to say, hey, you are going to be involved in this remembering of what God has done. The word remember is mentioned over 200 times in the scriptures. And God is saying, you are going to remember this forever, right? this unleavened bread, this idea of passing over. And you may wonder, do they still celebrate this today? Do religious Jewish people still participate? And yes, they do. Uh, This year happened from April 5th until April 13th. So it's not even a memorial day. It's a memorial week. We're going to remember this. Now, 
God says this. He says, your diet is going to be limited, which is something I always remember when that's affected. Um, He says, you're not going to work for some of these days. And he says that you're going to keep it as a feast. Now, remember, initially he told them, when you're going to leave, you're going to have your sandals on, you're going to have your walking stick, you're going to be standing ready to go. Now, when Jewish people observe it, they're not standing because they're not rushing to get out of Egypt. They can sit down and they can relax because they are free. God broke through and he set them free. The journey's over. Let's continue on starting in verse 21. It says, then Moses called all the elders of Israel and said to them, go and select lambs for yourselves according to your clans and kill the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood that is in the basin and touch the lintel and two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. None of you shall go out the door of his house until morning for the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians. And when he sees the blood on the lintel and the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to enter your house to strike you. You shall observe this right as a statute for you and your sons forever. And when you come to the land where the Lord has given you, as he promised, you shall keep this service. And when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? You shall say, it is a sacrifice of the Lord's Passover. For he passed over the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians, but spared our houses. And the people bowed their heads and worshiped. Then the people of Israel went and did so as the Lord commanded Moses and Aaron. So they did. So these people are obeying the instructions. And then again, there's that guy who's saying, but what if, what if I don't want to do it this way? You know, the hurricane is coming to this spot in Florida, this town. It will touch down at this time. And you still have those people that say, yeah, but what if I want to stay? I think I can weather this storm. A lot of those people don't. Some do. Yet here we're talking about the word of almighty God, much more reliable than any weather forecaster. goes without saying, and he's saying, take shelter under the blood or perish take shelter. So this is to be practiced yearly. Verse 24, it says, you're going to observe this right as a statute for you and your sons forever. So the question is, is that what Jewish people do today? Is that what Israelites do? Is they kill an animal and they put the blood up today? No, no, no. They have a meal that commemorates all of this. But as the week is unfolding, as they're having their meal, it's said that the youngest child will ask the dad what it says the text says there in verse 26, when your children say to you, what do you mean by this? They're saying, why exactly are we doing this again? And the answer is because the Lord brought us out of Egyptian slavery. Then the next question, how were we brought out of Egyptian slavery? Because the blood of the lamb, their existence as a free people all depends upon this event, the kindness of God through the Passover. And so without the Old Testament, what is the point of the old? Well, we don't understand things like God, it says in Acts 20, 28, it says God purchased his church with his own blood. Now, if we're on our way to church, you're reading the word at home and your kids say, why are you doing that? Ooh, it's a good opportunity to say, well, well, here's some answers not to give. Well, because um, we're religious. That's why we go to church. That's not the answer. 
Well, because we're trying to gain favor with God or we're trying to keep up our perfect attendance. That's not why. We're going to church. We gather with other believers to worship God first and foremost for what he has done for us through Christ. We love him. We want to serve him. And he's commanded us to gather together to worship. And yet we see that in the Jewish calendar, not only do they remember Passover nowadays, they remember even East, um, not Easter. They definitely don't remember Easter. Uh, Esther, God sparing uh, the Jewish people there, and they have food involved. And you look at their calendar, they have this all kinds of stuff year round, and it involves food. And I'm thinking, man, us as Christians, we could do a better job of remembering what God has done in his word and in our lives. Well, back to our text. As we are at verse 29, here it is. What God promised is coming to pass. It says in verse 29, at midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt. From the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on his throne to the firstborn of the captive who was in the dungeon and all the firstborn of the livestock. Midnight comes. Doesn't matter if you're wealthy. Doesn't matter if you're a king or if you're a slave. It doesn't matter if you're in a palace or a dungeon. The great equalizer comes. Death. The final blow that is laid against the Egyptians. Death comes the death of the firstborn. Pharaoh responds like this in verse 30. He rises up in the night, says, and Pharaoh rose in the night, he and all of his servants and all the Egyptians. And there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was not a house where someone was not dead. Then he summoned Moses and Aaron by night and said, up, go out from among my people, both you and the people of Israel. Go and serve the Lord as you have said. Take your flocks and your herds as you have said and be gone. And bless me also. The Egyptians were urgent with the people to send them out of the land in haste, for they said, We shall all be dead. Think about the phrase there, verse 30. It says, There was not a house where someone was not dead. So you either had the death of the firstborn, or what else would have been dead? A lamb, right? In the place of a person. So there was death in every home that night. Fear strikes the people. It's time to get out. Even though it's the middle of the night, they're saying, leave us now. Verse 34. So this is the Israelites. It says, so the people took their dough before it was leaven, their kneading bowls being bound up in their cloaks and their shoulders. The people of Israel had done also as Moses told them, for they had asked the Egyptians for silver and gold jewelry and for clothing. And the Lord had given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians so that they let them have what they ask. Thus they plundered the Egyptians. So they're on their way out. And as the people journeyed from Ramses to Sukkot, about 600,000 men on foot beside women and children, a mixed multitude also went up with them with very much livestock, both flocks and herds. And they baked unleavened cakes on the dough that they had brought out of Egypt. For it was not leavened because they were thrust out of Egypt and could not wait, nor had they prepared any provisions for themselves. The time that the people of Israel lived in Egypt was 430 years. At the end of 430 years, on that very day, all the hosts of the Lord went out from the land of Egypt. 
So after centuries of slavery, we see this band of people finally leaving. Finally leaving. Verse 42, it was a night of watching by the Lord to bring them out of the land of Egypt. So this same night is a night of watch. A night of watching kept to the Lord by all the people of Israel throughout their generations. So this idea, God rescuing his people and God saying, remember this, do this every year. You're going to look back at what I've done. This is something that Jesus observed. We'll see here shortly. This is something that Jewish people today observe. Some of them do. And yet we see there's some rules about who can participate, right? Just everybody just hop in and go down to the local synagogue and, and participate. Well, we've got some verses here. The final verse is 43 to 51. It says, the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, this is the statute of the Passover. No foreigner shall eat of it. But every slave that is bought for money may eat of it after you have circumcised him. No foreigner or hired worker may eat of it. It shall be eaten in one house. You shall not take any of the flesh outside the house, and you shall not break any of the bones. All the congregation of Israel shall keep it. If a stranger, a stranger shall sojourn with you and would keep the Passover to the Lord, let all his males be circumcised. Then he may come near and keep it. He shall be as a native of the land, but no uncircumcised person shall eat of it. There shall be one law for the native and for the stranger who sojourns among you. All the people of Israel did just as the Lord commanded Moses and Aaron. And on that very day, the Lord brought the people out of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by their hosts. So can just any Joe Schmo Gentile walk in and say, hey, I want to participate. Um, I am not Jewish. Might be news to some of you. I'm not Jewish. Um, I reached out to the local synagogue in Dayton and said, hey, Passover's coming. Can I come be a part? And those guys knew their Bibles well. They said very nicely, no. No, you're, you're a stranger. You're not one of us, uh, in a sense. And so, rightly so. Here's the thing. Um, they celebrate it this night. They go out and they wander around the, in the wilderness for about 40 years. Um, they keep the Passover. They finally go in to the land that you see in the book of Joshua. They're in the land. They're keeping the Passover. And then the book of Judges happens. And that book is described as everyone did what was right in his own mind, which if you think about that, it's a really bad idea. Uh, especially when you're trying to keep things that God has told you to keep uh, precisely. And so uh, Second Kings, there's a King Josiah, who is a great king, one of the best kings. And I will tell you this, he actually finds out that his people have not been obeying at all. And this comes some, what, 800 years from the time of Judges? Listen to what it says in Second Kings 23 starting in verse 21, specifically about the Passover. It says, And the king commanded all the people, Keep the Passover to the Lord your God, as it is written in the book of the covenant. For no such Passover has been kept since the days of the judges who judged Israel, or during all the days of the kings of Israel or the kings of Judah. So he restores the Passover 
over 800 years. And so I looked and I thought they never had any Passover celebration at all. And some say they did, they just weren't doing it right. You know, instead of unleavened bread, ah, leavened bread, you know, let's stay up till midnight. Let's watch. Ah, we're going to bed at nine. You know, whatever it was, it was irreverent. It was wrong. It was imprecise. It was the opposite of what God wanted. So it's restored. Years continue at the time of Jesus. He is with his disciples, right? So we're out of the Old Testament. We're into the new now. Jesus, after 33 years, his perfect life, the night before he's going to be crucified, very fascinating. In Mark chapter 14, as we're wrapping this up very shortly, Jesus, it says this, Mark records in chapter 14, it says, on the first day of unleavened bread, when they had sacrificed the Passover lamb, his disciples said to him, where will you have us go and prepare for you to eat the Passover. And he sent two of his disciples and said to them, go into the city. You'll find a man, follow him where he enters, say to the master of the house, this is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples. Whoa. So over 1500 years after the Exodus and Exodus 12 of the Passover, Jesus and his disciples are celebrating it. So without the old you say, you just cut that off, unhitch that, push it off the side of the road, keep driving. You come to the new and you say, I don't even know what the Passover is. You don't even understand what any of this means unless you have the old. And so we see this idea, they're remembering a lamb, right? Blood that was shed so that God would pass over and that a people would not be judged. And you think, oh man, Jesus, the Passover, if we only had a Bible verse that just said that, and we do, which is 1 Corinthians 5, 7. Paul's writing to the church in Corinth. He's saying, cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump as you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. Wow. Direct connection. Old to the new. Jesus is our Passover lamb. So we don't celebrate Passover here, though. We don't do the meal. We don't do the week. Uh, what do we do? Well, we do what Jesus commands his disciples as they're taking this meal. In Mark 14, it says, as they were eating, Jesus, he takes the bread. After blessing it, he breaks it. He gives it to them. He says, take, this is my body. And he takes the cup. When he gave it to them, gave it to them and they drank of it. He said to them, this is the blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly, I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. Wow. So Jesus is saying, this is really all about me. This is all about Jesus. So the old is looking towards something in the new. So even you think about a time of communion, it should provoke questions. If you're driving to communion, if you're walking in and your kids are saying, why are we doing this again? Why? Because the Lord has brought us out of slavery, not out of Egypt, but out of, the Bible says we're slaves to sin before we come to Christ. Well, how did he bring us out of that slavery? Because the blood of the lamb, the blood of the lamb. So you even think about this. Uh, if, the, if these people every year can take a full week, right, to remember God passing over his people, we gather for, for communion just a few times a year. It's like, oh, this should be a priority in my life. A couple of thoughts real quick on communion as you kind of explore what people have done. And you think, here's a couple of things. Number one, don't take it lightly, right? When we talk about 
Christ. We don't want to just flippantly say it, but even as we take the bread and the cup, um, I've read stories and I've heard things that are very disheartening, but one of them is people just sitting on the back of their truck, eating cookies and milk, saying we're taking communion. Not a good look. Um, I heard of a guy who went to his leader of his church, and he said, you know, I, I like to take communion, but I really don't like to come inside and hear you talk. I just want to, we just do a drive-through thing for me. And it actually became a thing at his church. And I'm not talking about during COVID, I'm talking years before that, we could all be together. And they accommodated this guy and said, sure, drive-through, we'll do drive-through communion. Man, if, that, if that's your attitude, no, don't even take it at all. We're talking about the Lamb of God, right? We're talking about Jesus, God's only Son. This is the conclusion right here. The plane is almost landed, not into a lake. I'm going to land this. We'll be done. Just a moment. So uh, if you've ever wondered, again, why do we need the Old Testament? Um, because we see a lamb slain, right? We see the blood spilled so that others can live. Um, we see Isaiah chapter 53 talking about Jesus, looking at him, looking forward to him seven years later on the cross. It said, he was oppressed, afflicted. He opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep before his shears is silent. He opened not his mouth. Peter writes in the New Testament, he says, know that you were not ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things. So you weren't redeemed with things like silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. And so we see a lamb, a lamb tracing it through the old, through the new. And then we get to the very end, get to the book of Revelation. And we see Jesus is referred to as the lamb over 20 times. And what are they saying? It says in Revelation 5, hear this crowd, this great crowd with a loud voice saying, worthy is the lamb who was slain receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. So Israel is freed from Egypt for what? Just to be free? No, they're freed for worship, right? We're freed from being slaves to sin. So I can say, it's all about me. No, no, no. We're, I'm freed so that I can worship the lamb. So if you are in Christ, you are free no longer a slave to sin. And why does he make us new? Why does he make us free? To have a relationship with him. So he will receive what he deserves, which is worship. So we worship him and implore others to do the same because he is worthy. Worthy is the lamb who was slain. Now, got to tell you, I got to pray for lunch, which is going to be here. And if you didn't pack one, you're going to have to go get something because it's pack your own. So I'm going to pray for that and then benediction and we'll dismiss. Okay. All right. Let's pray. Uh, Father, we thank you. Lord, the unspeakable kindness God, that you would send your son. Lord, that you would, uh, die for us and rise again and that you would even accept our worship, Lord. I pray that um, we would just have a humility about us, Lord, a gratitude and awe 
factor of how kind you've been through your son, the precious lamb. I pray that you would um, bless our conversation today. Pray you would bless the food to our bodies, all for your glory and praise, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.